Max Dupre, a leader who has been well known as in the business community and now passed away, he had a sentence that I've never forgotten. He said, a primary job of a great leader is to define reality. Well, I'm not sure I'm a great leader, but I'd like to remind you of where we have been. Just some backstory before we go to beginning this new series. The year that Kirk died, 2018, uh, following his death, uh, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about eternal things. And one of the phrases that was just, I think, given by the Lord to me was flourishing in exile. Since 2018, I've been reading extensively, and if you look at our bibliography, I'm about 60 to 70 books now, and people across the country who have asked to help me understand what exile means. And I thought it was so interesting when they brought this to our church, our church leaders, about 18 months ago or so, there was some little bit, well, we live in Pella, Iowa, this affluent upper-class community and so many great things. How does this apply to us? Who would have known then that COVID and all the things of 2020 would have happened? So all of a sudden, it becomes more um, applicable because it's like, oh my, we are in some unique season. So if I can remind you what I said last year, I, was wait, I would often go back like this and say the church has been moved to the margins. For about, uh, about 17 centuries, Christendom, the ideas around the Christian faith were primary in the Western, church, Western world. But about 100 years ago, it began to be increasingly taken away until now the church and Christian values are found way, way on the margins and tried to suggest last year that it actually is a positive thing because we have opportunities to flourish in exile. Now, I'm gonna take the idea of defining reality and I'm gonna push it deeper. And it's gonna come around this idea, who each of us is in Christ and how we live each day. Now, I'm not talking in the building. I'm talking about all week long. All that affects our culture. And I think somehow we've been able, in the American church, give me an umbrella of mercy, we can separate. We have our church religious behavior, and then we have our private or our work or school, and we keep them separated. Well, listen to what I'm going to say now. I'm going to argue. I'm going to show you from Jeremiah 29. Listen, listen to this sentence. If, if in post-Christendom, we are finding ourselves in exile, it is because of the way Christians have lived in America for the last 50 years. Well, let me explain what I mean by that. Slides two, three, four, five. I'm going to read Jeremiah 29, and I'm going to explain what I'm going to do, Lord willing, in the coming weeks. In the season of COVID, in election year, with concerns about culture and race and racism, all those things mixed together, there are a multiplicity of voices, and the voices are loud. I have found from my own sanity, I need to turn off all those voices, and I need to hear the voice of God. So Sunday after Sunday, on the big screens, we are going to read, listen now, we're going to read the very words of God. And then I'm, today I'm going to give you some commentary to help you understand context, which leads me to these phrases. 
you're going to see nine times the phrase, this is what the Lord says. Let me tell you what that phrase is in Hebrew. The God of heaven's armies. This is a term for a warrior general. Nine times the warrior general of heaven says. Seven times declares the Lord God Almighty. Then I want you to note, I carried away, I banished, I sent away. So the Lord of heaven's armies makes powerful declarations, including, I carried my people into exile. And then you're going to look for 13 times the word exile. Next screen, please. So let's define exile. This is the definition of exile. Exile is defined as the state of being banished from one's native country for political or punitive reasons. And what I'm going to say to you this morning is, it's the second. Follow me carefully. Don't misunderstand me. Stay with me for weeks. Exile happens for a reason. When God's people, starting at Genesis 3, disobey, disregard, refuse to submit, from Genesis 3 to Genesis 19, Revelation 19, the Lord banishes, sends away, carries away his people to the margins. So I want you to think about this. If you read the Old Testament, you see the people of Israel repeatedly saying, look what you did for our fathers, our grandfathers, our great-grandfathers. They rehearse the stories of what has gone. And then they basically apply it present tense and say, what God did to that generation, that generation, that generation, that's ours too. And in the Old Testament, multiple times, the scriptures say the sins of the fathers and the sins of the grandfathers are the sins of the parents and the sins of the children. And exile happens over and over and over again. Well, look at the synonyms for exile. Here are just some synonyms. To expel, to banish, to deport, or ban, to drive out, to throw out, to cast out, to eject, to oust, to outlaw, to uproot, to separate. If post-Christendom has moved us to the margins, what I'm trying to suggest, I'm trying to define reality, the Lord has done this. Go back to the definition. Backslide back, please. Exile is defined as a state of being banished from one's native country for political or punitive reasons. So this is the thing I've been thinking about. So give me an umbrella of mercy here. The question I've been asking myself, what role have I played in my 65 years that includes, that causes, that invites the Lord to put me and us into exile? 
Now, all of a sudden, you see what St. Paul writes about? You are, plural, the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. And St. Paul says what? If one part is sick, the whole is sick. If one part is happy, the whole is happy. If one is because we are connected. So watch now, watch. My sins, my sin affects all of you. And your sin affects all of us. And so what we were invited to do is to flourish. We're invited to say, Lord, that's who I was, right? That's not who I am. Because we've been washed in the blood of Christ. See, this is the crazy thing of this whole exile thing. Watch this, watch this now. We are sent into exile because of sin and brokenness, absolutely. But we have one who was sent from the perfect place and was exiled here, and his name is? And Jesus says, I'm going to take you from exile. I'm going to lead you on a new exodus, Old Testament motif, and we are going home. But isn't it interesting? The one who was exiled for our behalf is now the one bringing us in exodus. And that's why he said to us, I am the way because I know the way. He said, I am the truth because he knows the truth. And he said, I am the way because he knows the way home. So we're going to go through Jeremiah today, but next week we start 1 Peter. And you're going to see a video at the end that talks about this. We are, ex listen now. Every one of us, according to scripture, we are here. You are, listen, listen, you are in exile. You are a foreigner. You are an immigrant because this is not our home. We are exiled and we are on an exodus heading home. And we head home because of Jesus. And that's the gospel. So, having said that, let me take you to Jeremiah chapter 29. If you have your own Bibles, fantastic. If not, the words will be on the screen. And as I read, I'm going to give some commentary because I want you to get the context to this. Now, just let me put, give, me, give, me, give me even here. I'm going to push a little bit this morning. I want to be really clear what the scripture says. But don't take it as a negative, scolding. This is just this, this crappy. We have to define reality. Think about this for a second. I'm going to push. Why did Jesus die on the cross? There had to be reasons. There has to be a reason for the perfect one to be exiled here, to be shamed, humiliated, killed for the sins of the world. Listen, folks, sin matters. And Jesus has covered a multitude of sins. So if we don't understand that exile happens when people say to God, I don't want to do it your way. I don't want to obey. I don't want to. I... What, does, what does the Lord of heaven's armies say? How about if you go in exile for a while? And maybe when you're on the margins of culture, when you've lost your place, your space, and power, maybe, maybe we will repent and turn and say, God, I need you. I have to have you. 
As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for thee, O God. That's what is happening to those who flourish in exile. And then we can help change your culture. But I want you to see what causes exile from Jeremiah 29. So, here we go. Jeremiah, I'm going to give you some comments as we go. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders, surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests and prophets and all the people who Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The surviving elders. Now, let me just give you a description. Not sure what the population of Jerusalem or Israel was, but the destruction was so significant, the complete city of Jerusalem was raised except for one tower. I've told you the stories. People walked nose to nose 700 miles to the desert. How many people survived? Do you know the number? 4,900. The surviving elders, exiles, priests are 4,900 people. So this is dismal stuff. And it says then in verse 2, this was after the king did some stuff. Verse 3, go to verse 3. The letter was sent by two specific people. Verse 4, now here's the first of nine times. Thus says the Lord of hosts. This is the king, the general of heaven's armies. I say this all the time. I believe this with all my heart. When Christ returns, for many reasons, according to Scripture, it's going to be cataclysmic. But I think the very presence of Jesus is going to be so unbelievable that we all, everyone who has ever lived, will absolutely be face down because he is so unbelievable. I've said this many times, one more time. Listen to this sentence. I wonder if I should be more frightened of the fires of heaven than the fires of hell. Why is it over and over and over in the Old Testament if the angel of the Lord shows up or if Yahweh shows up, what's the response? Fear. What happens when one angel shows up? Don't be afraid. Can you imagine what's going to happen when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the King of Heaven's armies comes back here? In verse 4, thus says that one, the God of Israel to all the exiles whom, listen, look at this phrase, whom I have sent into exile. 700 miles, walking nose to nose through the desert. Build, and he says now, this is what the gods of heaven's army says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens, eat their produce. Take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For this is what the Lord of hosts says, the God of Israel. Now look at the next phrase. 
all kinds of loud voices. Genesis, Jeremiah 1 through 39 is Jeremiah trying over and over and over to speak the words of God, and there are all kinds of chatter. Can I just, this is my political thing. Turn off your stinking devices and stop listening to all these crazy, angry people and hear the words of God. All, all I do is get mad. All I do is get frustrated. All of a sudden, somebody I am just so stinking upset with, well, we're going to talk about how exiles are supposed to live. First nine weeks, we're going to do First Peter, and then we're going to go to the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what Jesus, the exile leading, leading us to Exodus, says about enemies. Listen, I'm quoting Jesus. This is how you flourish in exile. Do not judge or you will be judged. And the level of judgment you used will be used to you. This is what Jesus said. Pray for your enemies. Bless those that persecute you. If they hit you on one cheek, give them the other one. This is what Jesus said. If you come to worship and you know you're stinking mad at somebody, you leave your gift right here and you go find that one and you be reconciled. And I say, wow, I'm not going to do that stuff. That's crazy. And the Lord of Heaven's army says, so, you going to mess with me? You're not going to listen to what I say will help you flourish and change a culture? Go sit in Babylon for 70 years. Now, don't take the way I did came across. This is a God, get it, follow this all now. What, why are we here? Genesis 12 starts this whole line. Blessed to be a blessing. Why were the people of Israel called out and blessed so God could make his presence and kingdom known through them so they would affect the world? Why do we get sick in exile? Because we won't do it. So the Lord, remember the definition of exile, it includes punitive. It's not, it's not like this, you stupid kids are going to throw you in exile. No. In our house when we were growing, raising children, on the top of my refrigerator, I had a fraternity paddle. If the boys disrespected their mother or did one of the, one of the three rules we had in our home, they broke, the paddle came down and it was used. That's punitive. It's not angry. It's not sadistic. It's not mean-spirited. It's saying to our four sons, there are things we want you to live, to be, and do so you'll be men who honor Jesus. And when you live in our home, if you choose not to do that, we'll help you. I'm going way too long. We've got to keep going. Next verse. verse. Verse, let's go to verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, that is one full generation, I will visit you, this is the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will fulfill to you my promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. 
You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, let me explain verses 12 and 13 for you in the Hebrew. It is this. Let me just give you a word picture. Here it is. When we're in that posture, we are saying, I will seek you because I acknowledge who I am and where I've been. I am a broken, broken man. So he says, if you get this posture, you will find the Lord, and he will find you. But a rebellious people says, nah, I ain't going to do it. Nope, not going to do it. Okay, what happens next? Verse 15. He says, because you have said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, loud voices, thus says the Lord, concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, that's Jerusalem, and concerning all the people who dwell in this city, your kinsmen who did not go into exile, thus says the Lord to them and to the exiles, I am sending on them sword, famine, and pestilence. I'll make vile figs that are so rotten they cannot be eaten. I'll pursue them with sword and famine and pestilence. Make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse, a tear, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them. Now, here's why. Because they did not pay attention to my words, declares the Lord. That I persistently sent you by my servants, the prophets, but you did not listen. Let's just stop right there. So what I'm trying to say to you this morning is exile happens for reasons. All through Scripture. It's not just willy-nilly. God just says, ah, they're having a bad day and they're just a bunch of idiots over there, so let's just send them over here. No. It is consistently, it is persistently because people say, I will not listen to be loved and cared for and obedient to in relationship with the living God. So let me exaggerate, but I'm not. If in post-Christendom, the church finds herself on the margins, if you follow the logic of exile in the Old Testament, we are here because the American church has lost her way. The American church is us. So isn't it interesting in COVID, how many idols have been taken away from us and dismantled? And then what's been the response when our idols are taken away? For some of us, there's just great joy and freedom. And for some of us, we're just matter and hobs. What if, what if, what if in post-Christendom an excelic people are under judgment? What's the purpose of judgment? to lead us to repentance. So that we jump back into this relationship of love with our triune God, so that his life is lived in us and his life is lived through us, and then we flourish in exile. Even if we're on the margins, and we're going to look at that in 1 Peter, what does Peter say to us? Next week, please come back next week. It gets better. Come back next week. I'm going to show you the map where the people were scattered to. 
And what does Peter say to these scattered people? You live such, you live such a wonderful life, a flourishing life, that people want what you have, even though you're on the margins. So we can be crabby and say everything is horrible and bad, or we can say no. We have opportunities to bring the kingdom. But let me say this to all of us, here, other room, online, everywhere. We cannot, we cannot play Christian. The song that we sang before Paul prayed, abide. It is critical, however you're wired, however you're made, find ways to abide. Well, a couple things real quick. Let me explain slide six, and then I'm going to invite the worship leaders after we watch a video here. So Mike, and I, Mike Redman and I talked on Tuesday quite a little bit, and so let me just tell you what I see over this past year, and then we'll move into the new year starting next week. In order to flourish, we have to live in a love relationship. The love relationship starts that we are loved by God. That's why our staff is trying to bring four core values. Intimacy, ident identity. You are known and loved and adopted by God. I had an incredible conversation with someone this week, a couple days ago, who talked about in their family, someone adopted a child from another country. And uh, this, this young person, now older, has quite a story. And as the woman with me was telling the story, she just began to weep. Because this young man has become just a, an incredible, incredible person looking like Jesus. 18, 19 years old. And as she told the story, and as she wept, it just struck me. That's our story. We're adopted. We're adopted into a family, into a circle of love. And those who love us said they will never leave us. They'll never forsake us. Nothing can separate us from that love. And what we're invited to do is to share it, to be loved and to love. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What's it going to require? Well, probably lots of things. I've had about four this week. How about humility? The question that I ask myself, and I have for some years, do I want to be right or righteous? Many times I want to be right. And what happens to relationships if we both want to be right? But what happens when we're righteous? I define righteous as simply is to be in right relationships. What happens if we are choosing to be righteous? How about submission? Here's a second political thing I'll give you. I'm going to quote scripture. Submit to those in authority over you. So how many of us who did not appreciate President Obama said or did things that were disparaging. And for those of us who don't like President Trump, say and, and do things that are disparaging. Well, let me remind you what the words of the God of heaven's armies are. 
submit to those in authority over you. I'm not going to do that. Okay. Be unsubmissive. How about praying for enemies? No, 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 no. I'm disobeying. How about learning, as Steph said, just learning how to pray? Why is that so important? Because these are the kinds of attitudes, these are actions that move us into postures and places of love and being loved, which allows us to flourish. So I've talked all over the place. I'm not sure I've done very effectively. So I'd like to show you a video. And watch this video that tries to summarize everything I've said in five minutes. In the year 587 BC, the city of Jerusalem was attacked by the Babylonian Empire. And a year later, the city and the temple were plundered and burned. Thousands of Israelites were taken from their homes and relocated all over ancient Babylon. They became exiles. And so now they're a minority surrounded by a new culture with new gods. Now, some Israelites chose to resist Babylon by revolting or withdrawing. Others gave in, adopting the Babylonian way of life and accepting these new gods as their own. And you might think those are your only two options, but the prophet Jeremiah told them to do something totally different and surprising. To settle in, build houses, plant gardens, grow families, and most surprisingly, to seek the well-being of Babylon and pray to the Lord on its behalf. So this is like a third way. Yeah, it's not compromise or revolt. What does it look like? Well, there's a whole book of the Bible that explores that question. It's the story of Daniel. Daniel was one of the Israelites taken into the Babylonian exile. And because Daniel had a royal heritage and education, he was recruited along with some friends to work in the high court of Babylon. Work for the enemy? That would be compromise. Or they could gain the king's trust and take him down from the inside. That's what you might expect. But instead, they take Jeremiah's advice and choose the third way. They serve the king of Babylon, taking on Babylonian names and even clothing style. So they seek Babylon's well-being, but in doing so, aren't they just giving up their heritage? It could seem that way, but actually they aren't. As you read on, the story focuses on moments where they draw the line and they choose faithfulness to their God and resist the influence of Babylon. So for example? Well, like when they're commanded to bow down to the idol of Babylon and give allegiance to the king as if he's a god. Ah, they won't go that far. Right, this is where you see their true loyalty. It requires them to critique Babylon's idolatry of power, its arrogance, its injustice, but they do it non-violently by laying down their lives. And so God vindicates Daniel and his friends for their faithfulness. So they would serve Babylon, seek its well-being, but their loyalty was always to God. Yeah, this is what Jeremiah was envisioning. The way of the exile is a combination of loyalty and also subversion. So they're still exiles, but don't Daniel and his friends long to go home? Yes. In fact, Daniel believed that God was going to send a ruler to bring down Babylon and create a true kingdom of peace. Ah, when did he think this ruler would come? Well, at first he thought within his lifetime, but then he had a dream where he found out that after Babylon would come another oppressive empire, then another, then another. And so Babylon did fall and Israel did get to go back home, but now they're ruled by Babylon's successors. And so they maintained the mindset of an exile waiting for their true home to come to them. 
and they continued the same practice of loyalty and subversion to any new versions of Babylon that came along. And this leads us to the time of Jesus. The empire of his day was Rome, ruled by Caesar. Now, some Israelites wanted to resist, while others gave in and adopted Roman culture and its gods. But watch Jesus carry on the subversive loyalty of Daniel. Like when he said, it's fine to pay taxes to Caesar, give him back his coins. But then he said, don't mistake Caesar for God. God's the one who deserves your total life and allegiance. So the way of Jesus is this same mix of loyalty and subversion. Yeah, like he taught his followers to love and even bless their enemies. But he also got arrested for speaking out against the corrupt leaders of Jerusalem and Rome. He critiqued their idolatry of power and it cost him his life. But God vindicated him by raising him from the dead as the true king of the nations. The king that Daniel had hoped for. Right. And Jesus promised that one day his kingdom would prevail. And so until then, his followers are living in a type of exile. Yeah, this is why the Apostle Peter calls followers of Jesus foreigners and exiles. He told them to respect the authorities of whatever place you happen to live, to honor and love all people. But then he reminds them that this isn't their true home. They're still living in Babylon. But well, they're not living in Babylon. Babylon doesn't exist anymore. Or does it? In the Bible, Babylon has become a symbol that describes any human institution that demands allegiance to its idolatrous redefinitions of good and evil. Okay, so we all live and work in Babylon. How do I seek the well-being of Babylon while my allegiance is to someone greater? Yes, Jesus' followers are called to live in that tension between loyalty and subversion. That's the way of the exile. So starting next week, we're going to go into 1 Peter, and we're going to learn about loyalty and subversion, and we're going to keep becoming a flourishing people. Would you pray with me, please? We thank you, Lord, that you are the one who visited us. You were exiled so that we might follow you in Exodus to new life, life eternal. So allow us to live in such a way, Lord, that we would flourish and honor you in word and in deed. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.